Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I we... Wish this wasn't real. <laughs> this, is, this is our seventh attempt to bring you the pod. Uh, we... We have tried. How many devices are we at at this point? One, two, three, four. Yeah. This is our fourth fourth device. So just know if the apocalypse hits, Anna and I will snort out a way to record grits for our girls <laughs> out there. Just know that it's going to happen. We will figure it out. Oh gosh. We're resourceful. We are. Yeah. I think people Ten- would say tenacious. that about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Anna and asked we have me, such important things oh to say. Oh, my God. Anna and I were bla- brainstorming uh, before this episode as to what exciting and, I guess, what excitement has transpired the past two weeks. And honestly, I came up short. I could not think of anything that I have been excited about the past two weeks. Is that sad? Or maybe that's just the kind of inertia everyone is dealing with right now in COVID, during COVID. And everything I suggested for my updates, um, Afton told me I was too boring for <laughs> to share. You know, sometimes like, I Anna, just like to give read a me book. some jazz. Did you go to a club? Like, <laughs> did you did you do something illegal? And and she said, like, No, I read a book. Well, it's not that exciting. No one cares about that. Everyone's reading. No one cares about reading books. Yeah, it's been pretty boring lately. I'm just staring at Anna because I, I don't even know what to say. I think it's 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 a moment in the pandemic because, I mean, at this point, so March will be a year. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the excitement, I mean, not the excitement, but the first few months where we were on lockdown and it was trying to figure out the rhythm of what was the pandemic and lockdown. And then we've moved to what and now yeah, we're, we're out of what, the, like, what, like, what is the what is the stage of the pandemic that we're in right now yeah, I guess we're definitely out of the banana bread sourdough phase <laughs> and <laughs> um at least for me so I'm gonna do um I'm coming off I'm coming to the end of dry January and I'm going to do frugal Friday so that I delete uh delivery apps from my phone they're bad for restaurants I know that but I have gotten so so I guess I'm on the I'm at the point where it's like you can't just say you feel bad because you're in a pandemic and, like, order a pizza every <laughs> week. So I have to get to the point where I, like, rain it in. So you're just being frugal on Fridays or you're deleting apps? Oh, did I say frugal Friday? Yeah, you did. Oh, I meant frugal February. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so tired. Okay, frugal <laughs> February where I just try to save as much money as possible. I, you can join me if you want. I, I'm good. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't join you for dry January. So as yeah. I'm drinking, I, I have to. I'm at. I'm at the personal challenge phase now that I don't have to worry about like, like really major political upheaval every five seconds. We're in this like boring news cycle phase, and I can focus on me. <laughs> I mean, okay. So for dry January. I walked in and asked you if you felt different, and you said, you responded, I did not. And so for me, that's just, that's affirmation that nothing really changes, and yeah. yeah. It happens during the pandemic. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't thinking about, and I've had every phase that you could possibly imagine. The drum phase, the workout phase, the reality phase. I mean, really, you could write your own book. You could write your own pandemic book. all of Vampire Diaries at one point during this pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. It's gotten really bad. Every single thing on... I started watching cable again. <laughs> I got my... my in- <laughs> got a cable login. So I'm, like, watching, like, Real Housewives of Dallas. That's not even the, like, close to the top, like, three Real Housewives franchise. The pandemic got so bad that I was watching cable. Okay. All right. I have never... All right. I haven't All watched right. cable since, like, 10th grade. And yeah, I am following well, The Bachelor. The sheer excitement now. of cable. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I think I think we've hit a moment in the pandemic where I, I, I would hope the experience of Anna and I are illustrative of other, of all of you, our girdles, experiences that it's just, I don't know, it's, but some people it's the mundane, like, it's the like monotonous. 
I know, but it's the monotony of it, of it all. Yeah. You're cooped true. up in a small corner of your home office for 24 hours a day, and your only excitement is feeding the cats and moving five feet from your <laughs> from your work desk. Am I wrong? Am I right? Do you ever just, like, lose your vision during the day because you've looked at screens for too long? <laughs> <laughs> they actually said that um, seeing yourself in the Zoom camera... I'm probably repeating myself. I keep having this epi- like this feeling, like deja vu feeling, that I'm just perpetually repeating myself. So I feel like I've already said this on a podcast. That's part of the pandemic. That's a cyclical, like there's only so residual many... effect of the pandemic. Yeah, You're just no... repeating yourself over and over again. I need some new experiences for sure. Well, reading a book isn't going to be one of them, and our <laughs> pod listeners certainly won't. Well, if you're a part of, if you're listening to this, and if you've had an exciting experience the last two weeks, please let us know. We would love to live vicariously through you, even if it's. I would love a scandalous experience. I feel like my twenties were fraught with scandalous experiences, and here I'm left with feeding the cats and ordering takeout. Yes, we're so domestic. Is that? Not, I mean, maybe I don't know. <sighs> That's the good life, though, in a way. I don't know. My biggest fear in life is monotony. Yeah. And thankfully I have a job that's not monotonous. It's, it, it differs every day. The people I interact with are different every day. And I think, you know, I'm really grateful for that experience, but I am, I don't know. I'm struggling. (sighs) We're so, we're so fun to be around right now. (laughs) This is like the weirdest weirdest energy. We need to sage the closet after this. (laughs) Like, what even is time? Who are we? Is this my real skin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? People really appreciated raw grit. So maybe this is raw grit. Raw grit's duh. I can't. I can't let the floodgates open. So uh, student loan debt. (laughs) That's what we came here to talk about. Riveting, huh? Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to try to keep this episode snappy for our producer, Cassie, who has been a goddess dealing with us in our um, tumultuous and unexpected, unanticipated schedule throughout uh, the month of January. But here we are. Uh, So Anna and I, there's a lot of uh, student loan updates I guess not updates but maybe some advocacy campaigns to be aware about but um we felt like it was a an opportune moment to discuss student loan debt uh because it affects how many how many people one in Okay, I didn't mean to put. I didn't. I really didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I really didn't mean to do that. Okay, I think it was in this other article. Okay, well, uh, so I'll 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 just start by saying so. um, Biden. Oh, oh, yeah. Forty-two million Americans. Wow, forty-two million Americans. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So uh, Biden's in this position. So there, I, I think a lot of presidential candidates uh, with uh, operating on a spectrum were campaigning on either abolishing student debt in, 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 in its entire, entirety or taking percentages of it away um, from those who had taken out loans. And so right now, at this moment in time, I just wanted to give folks an update. So Biden's secretary uh, of education, Miguel Cordona, uh, did say that student debt relief is a priority. So I think that, you know, the folks that he is around, that he's uh, including in his inner circle, I think they are very sympathetic towards um, student debt relief. But to what degree, I think, is the question. The Secretary of Education said he's totally in support of Biden's plan to back congressional action that would cancel $10,000 worth of student loans. At this moment in time, as a voter, I have heard from the spectrum of campaigns and candidates that have occupied space and time within the past year, we have gone from $50,000 of student loans eliminated to $10,000. So Biden's Secretary of Education totally in support, canceling of $10,000 of student loan debt per borrower. And he would work with our senators and our Congress folks to support a plan that provides some relief to our students in higher education. He also indicated that he would be prioritizing debt cancellation for the neediest borrows. 
borrowers, excuse me. We have to assess the damage that student debt is causing and make sure we're targeting the support of students who need it the most. So Anna, I think like at this at this moment in time, as we're heading in uh, to a new administration, um, student debt has reached and uh, drum roll please, 1.7 trillion. 1.7 trillion. What does that look like to the average American student? Yeah, so I think it's, I mean, there's a lot of places to start, but I think uh, let's go with what we historically have thought about, like, why does someone take out a student loan? So college, people with higher education in general, college graduate degrees, all of that, they earn more over time. Um, And so people think of it as investment and there are relatively low interest rates associated. I'm talking about like federal student loans. I mean, there's obviously private loans and personal loans and things like that, but I'm most familiar with like federally subsidized loans. And those are considered, you know, safe compared to say a credit card or a payday loan or something like that because of the interest rate. And it's supposed to be a way for you to pay for this really high cost, but also high supposedly high value product of a higher education. But that has a really disproportionate impact on who carries that debt for how long and who defaults on that debt. And so we have to think about, you know, there it's great in theory, as you would say, like as you know, maybe starting microeconomics in college where everything is in theory and it doesn't have anything to do with the real world and money is a social construct. Yeah. It's the actual lived experiences of people and why do they take on student debt? Who is hurt most by student debt? And what, how does it cripple us from um, operating in the world at higher levels? So black borrowers are actually the most affected by um, student loan debt and the most held back by student loan debt. So black borrowers had more than 7,000 in education uh, $7,000 more in education debt compared to white graduates who borrowed. Almost half, 48.7% of black students who borrowed for their undergraduate studies defaulted compared Jeez. with 20% of white student borrowers. Yikes. This is related to um, d- racial disparities in parental, grandparental, and other family members' wealth. So it, it's, it's related directly to the black-white wealth gap. Uh, white households hold more than $9 for every $1 of median net worth held by black households. Um, so in practice, I mean, you know, I look at my personal experience. My parents, thankfully, and, and I'm so grateful, paid for my undergraduate degree because they accumulated wealth as white parents. And they were able to pay for that. And then I did have to take out loans for my graduate degree. But if you didn't have if you didn't have that to fall back on and you're still paying your undergraduate loans and then you want to get a graduate degree, which let's just be honest in the nonprofit space, you almost have to have a graduate degree to apply to any of these jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the credentialing and the, like the elitism involved with higher education, we're both, you know, have higher education degrees. And so, especially for me coming from, one of the lowest socioeconomic brackets and getting a getting a degree practically for free. I have a I have a few student loans that were very heavily subsidized, but I went to a college that cost $68,000 a year and my student loans were for my flights home, my books, um and just generally like a little bit of spending money like all, all my tuition and my room and board were completely paid and I still had to take out loans to function in the world. Like I didn't have a way to get back and forth from school without a loan. Did your parents, so your parents weren't providing you a stipend, for example? Like no, I, wor- I worked throughout college. Wow. Yeah. So I worked and then I took out a small loan in my name, but I made that decision at 17 years old when God. I graduated high school. And, and here I you have, and you have this know. website and they're like, here's free money, apply for everything. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll get to, and it's, and I think there's so much, there's so much discourse around like, you should know. You should know what you're taking out. You know, you you should know what interest rates are. And let's just be honest, the financial literacy of this country is very low. I'm yeah. lucky because my dad's an accountant. My brother's an accountant. I come from, he has his, my dad has his PhD. Like, I come from, you know, 
a financial literate family. But even then it's like, I took out student loans and I still have, I'm still paying them back for graduate school. And I didn't know Mm -hmm. what, like, I didn't know what the right interest rate was at the time. And you can, you imagine how you were at 17 having to make these big decisions that will forever impact your future. Yeah. And it was very unclear. It was like, because I also got confused between, I got Pell Grants and all of my, um, all of my numbers and the way my financial aid package was a, was given to me changed semester to semester. And it also changed depending on my like housing situation and like my meal plan mm. and all that kind of stuff. So I did game it a lot. Like I moved off campus and I like pocketed, they would just like deposit like 14 grand in my bank account. And I would just like play with it, you know, but I didn't realize but you're not, part- but you're not playing with it. But I mean, but for the first time in my life, I was getting Starbucks and I was getting like, Whatever, and I didn't realize that part of that, like a thousand a semester, was a loan. But I didn't know that. I thought that was my. You thought that was your room and board, and my, um, you know, my money for like books and travel and stuff. And I didn't realize what was what because they would just put it in my account. And then I had a job too, so, and I was able to do so much in college that I otherwise would not have been able to do. I have a very unique experience. Like a lot of the people that are, um, you know, defaulting on student loans or carrying student loan debt, that includes for profit. So like University of Phoenix type oh, situations, God. Delgado, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then you've got uh, state school, of course, and you have a lot of people who didn't complete the degree carrying student loans. And so, you know, we come out bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. We say, everyone says college, college, college. And I really wish that we could get to a point where like college isn't a requirement to get a job because I think a lot of people can do really, really, really good work and not have a college degree because of their situation or, you know, whatever. So I don't want it to be like a barrier, but anyone who wants to go to college should be able to go to college and not end up in crippling debt with a bad credit score. Because even though I like was able to um, go to college and not have that bad of debt I still couldn't like get an apartment when I like my credit score wasn't good enough to get an apartment when I got out of college like I had to have my parents co-sign well then there you go back to like generational wealth and so you could end up in a different kind of housing situation and you're not building your credit because you might be not renting off your credit so it just becomes like a perpetual cycle and you're starting it at 17 18 19 well and what do you I mean what do you think about this idea I think in this country, in the United States, that there's a healthy amount of debt, that every American should have some healthy amount of debt and that our credit scores are built on debt. Like, what do you... That is like a, to me, like an upper middle class, Mm. upper class, like kind of concept. And it, I go back and forth because I try not to be too cynical because I do believe that there are a lot of different versions of the American dream. And I think there's a lot of different ways to go there. And some people might have to carry more debt than others to get there. And they might have to take, make more risky financial decisions, but I'm very cynical and clear eyed and knowing the disproportionate impacts, the disproportionate access. Um, I just listened to a podcast today that said um, that uh, black families with household incomes of a hundred thousand um, dollars had the same rate of getting accepted for a mortgage as white families with forty thousand dollars, and that oftentimes has to do with that with that cosign. Yeah, yeah. So it's just so. I, I mean, and I, there's so much more that I don't know about it, but in this day and time, so right now my student loan payments are frozen. Same. Yours? Yeah. Same. I don't know that that is true for like private student loans, but, and you know, I'm kind of sitting here, I would be one of the people that would benefit from the loan forgiveness program. I've under $10,000. And so they would take that away and I would just never have to pay it again. And I still have six years on mine. And I like that idea, but I'm not who it's for. So who do you, but who do you think it's for? Why do you say that? Who do you think it's for if it's not for you? Well, it's like I could get by having them. And so I think that's where I think people, I I think I'm the person when someone says this shouldn't just be blanket, blanket applied to everyone. I think I'm the person that they're thinking of. Like she doesn't deserve to have that. I disagree with you. 
I think, I mean, all of the arguments, especially there was a Twitter debate about wealthy family, wealthy ki- kids from wealthy families, that their student debt is canceled. And that's, 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 that's what universal, universal programs are about. It, mm-hmm. it play, you know, even though they're going to be set for life with their trust funds and their inheritance taxes, right? Like they, it's about universal programs benefiting everyone, right? And like, yeah, yeah, you still have affirmative action that supports families of color moving up in the generational, you know, accumulating more generational wealth and and moving up and, and I just, I I, I don't know. I think that's a false narrative and Mm -hmm. I would push back on it. Yeah. I mean, and I get the, I get universal application of programs and how like means tested programs, I've actually evolved a lot on that. And like means tested programs not being the way forward. I personally have seen benefit cliffs in my own life, losing my Medicaid Mm. and then not being able to afford private insurance. And I also feel really bad. Like I had a roommate in college who paid full everything for our college which was very expensive no one paid because full. she didn't get she because her parents made too much money to yeah no financially. one no one paid full unless they made over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year which is a lot but she also had two brothers one at harvard one at stanford this this sounds like you're like how are you going to be sympathetic to this but she had to work so hard because she wasn't getting any help. Because she wasn't getting any help at all, and they had to pay full. So I was getting basically paid, plus I had a little bit of cushion. I got things like stipends to study abroad and all this kind of stuff, and she was having to work and earn a certain amount of money every year to pay her. Um, we would have a student portion. They took that away because that's horrible. Yeah, anyway, and I would sit there, and she would go, well, so-and-so's getting to go to this other country. Like, you're getting to go to, like, I got to go live in Morocco. And I literally, like, my parents never wrote a check to my college, ever. And I was getting the full value of the of the experience. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I'm saying, like, college is su- such a varied thing. So that's different than going to a community college, and that's different than going to your state school or seeking out a program that's like the best fit for you so saying like oh that that's a really good journalism school so I'm gonna go there and you've got this like but the but support the or whatever so it's like people people use college differently and have different approaches to it and I think it's really wrong that any college costs seventy thousand dollars a year well let's just do so we, we've done this before uh when we want to compare it I think this was the paid family leave Remember when we yeah. when we combed through the countries, you know, and uh, determined what their their uh, the number of months they had off for maternity leave, I believe it was. So here we are. How other countries student loans compare. So France has two point three nine million students. The average public of university tuition is what per semester? Go ahead, Anna. Do 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 do. Do, 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 do. Give me a range. Do, 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 do. Uh, zero to 500. <laughs> do, do, 500 do, do, do. Dollars. dollars a semester. Do, 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 um, 300? 217. Ding, ding, okay. ding, 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 ding. All right. We're going to go to, uh, let's see here. United Kingdom. So we've got 2.98 million students uh, attending university. Average public university tuition is... 250. They have a range. Zero to 300. Uh, So some students don't pay anything. And then here we go. United States. We have 19.53 million students. Now that's... Okay, so here... Let's let's just take a moment. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So France and the United Kingdom have about 2 million university-age students that are enrolled in school. The U.S. has 19.53 million. What is that? What? I, I don't even know what, that, what that's about. What? Well, I think we have a lot. I mean, there are some areas that are, like, hyper-educated. And then there are, like, also a lot of international students in America. So I don't know if that... So you think it. because of, I guess, the Ivy Leagues that are world-renowned that, that people from other countries come here and therefore bolster our rates? But even, like, I know LSU has a huge contingent of international students. Same with Texas, yeah. 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 So I think, and that's also where you get full payment, too. Like, 
There's a lot of I mean, I just, tuition payments. It was, I think, for me, so when I was working at the UN, so I had an internship at the UN in Switzerland, and I was in my last semester of graduate school, and it became increasingly clear to me that most European students did not pay, had never paid the amount of tuition that I was paying for, under, had paid for undergraduate, my undergraduate degree and my graduate degree. And I felt like it was incredibly unfair. I'm like, here you have a country who, which their system is built on making sure that you graduate with debt. Think about that. Yeah. It's like, what, what type of country puts that burden on young kids? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's messed up when you think about it. That When you compare it to, like, I really just think, like, if you want to seek higher education, like, there is value in it. But thinking of it as, like, an economic product seems really wrong because, I, I mean, and that, that leads back to those jokes of, like, certain majors are, like, unemployable, right? And, like, the idea, I mean, I received a legit liberal arts education. So did I. And that was so valuable to me. And I will go, and, and that's the problem, and I, and I hear that, and my dad's probably going to listen to this podcast, but I, I think how do you articulate the value of a liberal arts degree? And I will say from a personal experience that I am a multifaceted utility organizer because I had a liberal arts degree. Like I, I can do graphic design. I can do marketing. I can do organizing. I can do political education. I can do all of these things. And I really do feel like it was because of a liberal arts education. And now what we're having to do because we live in a capitalist country that only values outputs and return on investments that we're not funding language programs. And we have a country in the U.S. where kids only speak one language. And then you try to work in a in a in an increasingly a global work environment and you're not able to communicate because you only know one language. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and it's just like, I don't understand why people can't. It, it, yeah. Okay. You, you get a business degree, you make money, but a liberal arts degree is just as versatile and just as valuable what you do with mm-hmm. it. But when you think about it in exchange for what you're paying, you're paying money for your degree. So you want to make money to pay back your degree. So it's like a psych. It's a yeah. It's cyclical. Yeah. So yeah. that incentivizes direct application kind of majors or job training. But then it's just a glorified job training, and then it's definitely not worth like forty, fifty thousand dollars a year because it's like you're just getting. I mean, but, 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 I, I think we should have more apprenticeships and more kind of like. I'm all about vocational training. training. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think. Uh, y- what you said about we shouldn't be pushing college for everyone, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. just not like you should, whatever vocational or hobby or, you know, type of training that you need, like we need to have a job core for you, like some type of training core for you to Mm -hmm. offer, but you shouldn't have to take out $50,000 worth of student loans to be able to, to, to enter a workforce. Yeah. So what, wait, what was the U S Oh, oh, per semester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Per semester, it was, um, so pu- this is only public universities. This isn't like your school. Uh, 10,000. Wow. Yeah. So I think I want to, I want to go back to, you know, why people think we shouldn't eliminate student loan debt. Uh, and this is an article from The Atlantic about why Biden shouldn't forgive student loans, but they they uh, describe the arguments against it. So opponents make a few good arguments. First, as noted by Harvard economist and former Obama advisor, okay, Jason Furman, the federal government would not get much bang for its buck. The Trump administration has already deferred student loan payments through the end of the year to give families from some financial relief. Canceling payments outright would not lead to much of a boost in consumer spending. Do you disagree with that, Anna? Personally, my loans are not, like, oppressive in that way. But I do think that if you were to uh, forgive loans in collections or that have, you know, default, if they've defaulted on the loan, like, that is a weight hanging over you, just like it is with, like, you know, say, medical bills or something like that. And I really don't know, I mean, I know a little bit about, like, I know a lot more about medical debt than I do about student loan debt particularly, but I wonder like how the federal government holds that or if they sell it 
because like eventually like medical debt they sell it and then it's like you just have to pay pennies and then it's gone and so anything they make over zero is like a gain to the company but I don't know if the I wonder if like the federal government could do something like that where it's like can we just call it even let's let's like pay in this bill 100 million dollars for student loans and it like wipes it off people's records because then because that that prevents you from getting a car i was gonna say i mean we our generation i know people that have to put off buying a home or buying a car for 10 years because of their student loans Mm -hmm. it definitely makes you more conservative like in your spending habits in your in your spending habits yeah um than you would be and i feel like it does that there's long-term impact. So maybe in the first two years, no, you're not going to be, like, shopping at the mall more. But <laughs> I do think long-term, I think it would be more homeownership. I mean, it may even reduce, like, I'm even thinking on, like, the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum and, like, in stable housing situations. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there was a, like, during the pandemic that people don't even have $1,000 in their savings account. Oh, no, it's 400 if Four, a $400, $400? Yeah, if a $400. So imagine if they have a $300 student loan payment per month. I mean, they have no money saved for emergency circumstances. Ugh, okay. Second argument. Second related argument is that a regressive policy which helps rich people more than poor people, much like the Trump tax cuts. Most student loan borrowers are college graduates and thus winners in the winner-take-all economy. A majority of student loan debt is held by Americans towards the top of the income scale, with 56% held by those with graduate degrees. So we're talking not just undergrad, but mostly graduate degrees. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, it has always pissed me off, particularly in regards to medical education, about how there's such a barrier to um, people of color, like, becoming doctors, um, like, Americans um, becoming doctors. Because they don't have generational wealth to rely on. So, like, for example, if you come from a wealthy white family in the South, you apply for medical school, you get in, you immediately, you have people paying your rent you have people paying for food you have your parents sending you a hundred dollars per week i mean it's just it's so different and so then you have people of color who enroll in graduate programs particularly like these these doctoral programs or residency programs for medical school and they have to take out a hundred thousand dollars worth of loans to even get to be able to live yeah and then you end up 40 50 you know mid 50s whatever and you're still paying right right on that stuff and so even if you're doing if you have success that's when you're starting to think like like think about putting away money for your kids like buying a house like all the things that you need to spend money on you may do that and just keep yourself in debt for that whole time right and then then it's like you're close to retirement age (laughs) like after you enjoy it for like 10 years right so I, but I do, I do want to say on this point that I understand, um, this is kind of how I feel like I'm all 100% in for like DEI and hiring, but that isn't to me a late stage intervention Mm-mm. Mm-mm. because you're already at the point. So if you're in a company and you're like, okay, you have directors and you're trying to elevate someone to a VP position, well, they're already a director They've already had to get to that point, right? They already had to get to that point, and they already had to face so many barriers, get the degrees, go into debt, whatever it is. So for our griddles that are in corporate America, like, what's the solution? Like, obviously, companies need to have a DEI program and framework for their their efforts, right? But, like, what, 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 especially in corporate America, like, what is, what is the entry point? Like, what is the antidote? That's a really good question. I've actually thought about this a lot um, because this has been like, uh, seems like a flashpoint in some conversations that I've had of like, why would you pick someone just because of their identity for a position, which is not true at all. Mm. There is a misunderstanding and mischaracterization of what that means. But I, I think it starts like, I mean, if you're in a corporation, like I guess it would start with like entry level jobs. Um, I do not believe in interns not being paid, especially at for-profit companies. Right, yeah. And I think that you have to pay interns and you have to pay, you have to help, you have to help them find a place to live. You have to help them, um, with moving costs and things like that. 
and so I think it starts at the internship level and just like opening the door and maybe saying in our intern class like it needs to be at least 50% people of color if not more um I really liked at my college how they had like pre-programs they didn't start this till literally the year after I started and I really wish I really wish I would have had access to this but you came early and you had like intensive like writing preparation and stuff. Mm. I had never used a footnote before I went to college. <sighs> I got a D on my first paper after being the darling of my high school best writer ever of all time. You got a D? I got a D on my literally on my first paper because I had knew nothing. Like we hand wrote our papers in in high school. Are you serious? Yeah. We got the computer lab like once a semester. What? So we didn't really even type or anything. I didn't wasn't even around a computer till I was like twelve or thirteen. I grew up very like very different. I know I'm like young, but we were like 10, 15 years behind, and especially my education. Wow. So I knew nothing. I didn't know MLA, APA, whatever. I knew no, I knew none of that. And I went to writing tutors, and I went to the writing center, and I fought tooth and nail. But I thought I was going to be an English major, and there was no way that I could be wow. because I was not a coherent writer. And they had, like, an intensive boot camp that was kind of, like, telling you, like, this is how you, like, function in this higher education space. And I really would, you know, that is the type of program that I wish maybe they would be, like, two-week summer programs with corporations or you know, bring them in, in over winter break or something like that. Because you can also imagine like these, these high school students or college students. Right. But you can also imagine, I mean, honestly, and I, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I do feel like in the professional world, it's who you know. Like the yeah. jobs, especially postgraduate degree, it's who I've known. And to get those jobs and my networking skills and my relational skills. And I think that it puts so many people at a disadvantage if they don't have the ability to create that space and or enter that space. And it's also about exposure. Like, you can't be it if you don't see it. I don't know. I don't know if that's a saying. But, like, you can't, like, we not. You don't know what, yeah, 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 I get really it, I get know. it. So, like, when I was, li- I literally found something from kindergarten the other day where someone asked me, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to go to Yale and be a lawyer. You said that in kindergarten? Because someone had put it in my head. My parents didn't go to college. You know, someone, so at, in kindergarten, you didn't even know what Yale was. And you said, I want to go to Yale. Well, I would read books about it. Like we had books in my house about it. Wow. And like Harvard and Yale, like we would always talk about this of like, and that is the only reason I went there. Like why else would I have applied there? You know, I I knew that I, see, I like, so it was had already the, in yeah because it was yeah, like in my yeah. head and like the idea of like being a professional was like really 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 emphasized mm. in my life. Anything in the professional class, so I mean the big three like lawyer, doctor, engineer. That was just like really really pushed, and that I I didn't understand. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know what consulting was. I didn't know what investment banking was. Like I I had not heard of these concepts mm. before college. And I really didn't even understand them when other people were applying. And I had a lot of disadvantages and not a lot of help in college learn about things and a lot of culture shock and all of that. So I like I don't know why I'm going into all this detail. If I would have had someone and I had a horrible time getting internships in in college, especially because they were unpaid. <sighs> And I work. And your parents like, don't know any. I mean, you're out, like, you, you grew up in Louisiana. Your parents own a small business. You have no mm-hmm. networks of people who can get you access to these internships and it jobs. It was so hard. Like, it was the hardest thing. I had a career counselor. It's not that I didn't do my part. Like, no, I, I know you were working your ass off. I dozens and dozens and dozens of internships. And I even applied to jobs, like, after I graduated. And so... I, I am sitting at the top of this as far as like saying I was able to go to college. I was able to eventually find a job that's like really fulfilling, uses my skills, stretches my brain and all that kind of stuff. But there is this an intangible quality of like the value of college being that I was able to like explore intellectually or learn how to think be a critical thinker and I would never have been able to grow up otherwise but other other people grow up different ways yeah but it's but I look at my college roommate who was on scholarship I mean just we like my parents paid for my undergrad I got an allowance my roommate had worked two jobs had a scholarship 
And I had so much leisure time to think about things while she was busting her ass to get jobs or excuse me, to get jobs and internships and to make good grades coming from a Texas public high school. And it was just like I I had time to like figure out what I wanted to do and granted like it, it's worked out like as you said I've got I have a great job I love it I'm fulfilled I make great money but I just I felt like it was so unfair in the moment right mm-hmm. I mean I just I still well, feel like that the, way it's the structure of the system so we're talking about our personal experiences and everyone's going to have their own personal experience they're going to say well college wasn't for me I have a great job. I'm a master electrician. Like, you don't need to go to college to do that. And you can make over 100 grand doing that Mm -hmm, job. mm -hmm. So, like, and I know plenty of people who make way more money than I do that did not go to college. Right. And those are anecdotes. Like, what we're trying to do is, like, zoom out and say, what is the role of student debt in holding people back Mm -hmm. from, from not only meeting their basic needs, but from thriving and building wealth? Um. What does it do? What is the racially disparate impact that it's having? And what role can policy and law do to um, unlock opportunity? And I mean, it's all jargon and stuff, but like what what can we what can we advocate for? Um, and so I do think like student you know, pausing right now, student debt relief, all of that. That's really interesting. But also thinking about what would a proactive change in how we think about even just think about education and how many people scoffed at Bernie saying free college, free college. It's like, well, by the time you get into a place where you can go to college, I mean, I don't know the graduation rate off the top of my head or I mean, not the graduation rate. I know my graduation rate was like 80%, maybe 85%, but the go to college rate, I bet that was 50% from my high school or maybe less. And that's okay. I mean, some go associate's degree, dental hygienist, things like that. But I just really think about like, if I were to tell people I know, oh, yeah, we're going to pay a trillion dollars for everyone to go to college for free, that's already not an op- option or wouldn't even be like many of my friends started college and didn't finish and they carried the loans. So wh- what are you saying? But I'm saying like, so free college, would they have stayed if it would have been free? What is causing it? You know, and you can say college isn't for everyone. But it is set up like this economic product. Like, if you invest in this, you will have a good job and you will have returns, a good life. Right, right. And that is not true. No. $1.7 trillion in debt says yep. that is not true. But we can't just say college doesn't work, which is what a lot of people want to say. Or it's not worth it. But I think it's a spectrum. And I think we've... <sighs> yeah, I think I, I think that's a good question. I mean, is it... I don't want to say it's been popularized, right? And like, you know, going to college, it's this, you know, experience where you join a frat for the lucky and privileged, right? Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have money to spend it. It's a time where you get to discover yourself. That is not the reality for most people, right? And I think, I just, I, I, I wish it's a time for folks to, to learn what they're good at and, 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 you know, be able to learn from skills assessment, like where their interests lie and what they're able to make, what they're able to monetize later on in life. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it's not like that right now. I mean, it's either for me, you go to college because your dad has his PhD, your mom, both of your parents are extremely well educated and they went to college and you go to college. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's really no critical thinking as to why we're going to college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just told like, you're smart go to college and or like you need a better life than you know what we had and, and this is the way to do it this is the yeah, path this to is do the it. only way to do that yeah and I I like also approach college very differently in that like we didn't have a lot of requirements and so like I think less than a third of my classes were like you needed less than a third of your classes to get a major like majors at really Yale yeah wow um that was not <laughs> right. I went to a big public school so and so there wasn't this rigid thing so they said literally take the classes that sound most interesting to you and you'll know your major and you didn't have to declare until after your sophomore year wow that's pretty progressive yeah you don't think like, so or, yeah I mean it was and I loved it because I just started taking because I had knew nothing I didn't know what the difference between political science and sociology was or anything mm, like that you know mm. so I just started going hmm 
sounds good. Okay, I'll take that. Sounds interesting, all that kind of stuff. So, and that led me, honestly, I mean, I wrote my thesis on the ACA. So I'm right here. <laughs> I have a very practical degree in that I literally use what I learned in college mm, mm. almost every day of my of my job. Um, so I ended up here, but everyone has a different path and I can see how I would have been very different, like I reacted very differently if I would have gone into school and been like, I'm a biology major and I just had to take these like standard courses and to get, to get to the point where, right. Where you get to that like fulfilling stuff. Well, I I think for those of you, uh, that are reckoning with student debt right now that, If you voted for Biden, if you campaigned for any other candidate in your state, you are in a much better position now than you ever would have been under a Trump administration to see some student loan relief. And so I hope and that's my I mean, I just I just I'm I'm screaming this the top of my lungs. And I think a lot of other progressives are in Congress as well, which is like we need to improve the material lives of Americans as Democrats. Mm, like we, it. you, you just have to. And I think it, student loan relief is one of those ways you can do it. So, you know, I think um, probably the episode title will, of this will be student loan show student loan showdown. Um, but I do think that you have people very close to Biden in his personal circle, as well as the the power circles in um, the Democratic majority that are saying this has to happen. Um, and I think I just want to commend Charles Booker, who ran for Senate in Kentucky. He's made this a very prominent issue. He, I think he, he went to a, a, a university in, in Kentucky and, and he really, really believes in this. And I think he understands the racial, um, the racial implications of student loan debt and uh, that the pathway forward is to eliminate it. So um, for those of you that were, you know, that have wished that uh, Biden would relieve 50,000, hopefully we'll get there and just know that activists and organizers um, have been working over time to to make this happen. Uh, and that's what, you know, if you go out and vote for Biden, that's great. If you, this is what community organizing is about, right? It's to push these narratives to shift the Overton window and to make sure that um, folks in Congress know that people graduate with $50,000 worth of student debt. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. uncommon. It's really not. Oh, well, we thought we were going to be 20 minutes. It is now minute 47. Cool. Everything's fine. <laughs> Amazing. So All right. What are you grateful grits, for? Grits gratitude. Grits gratitude. I'm grateful. Do you know off the top of your head what you're grateful for? February 1st. Oh, my God. I am released from my jail of no alcohol. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sober. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to wait like a few days, but I guess I'll just go ahead and preemptively preemptively thank the uh spicy margarita at St. Anejo that I'm gonna have next week. I already know. I felt like when you asked earlier where who, which restaurant had the best margarita, I felt like you were you were like trying to probe for information because it was so salty and I could I could see you salivating like a little dribble <laughs> of like well, I love, you said Nada, and I love, Nada used to be my obsession. They changed the menu a little bit, and it, I still like it, but they do have a great spicy margarita. Um, the They can do, like, sometimes they'll do the mango habanero one, but the, the chili mango one's good, too. Um, Wait, I so have, what are you grateful for? <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for this margarita. Okay, all right, the elusive margarita. I have no friends or, and no life, so yes, I'm grateful I'm for, grateful margarita. for margaritas. I'm also grateful for margaritas. I'm also, you can ask anyone, I will, I, I, at least one night a week, I will have a pitcher of margaritas. And some I remember you, we went to margaritas to get margaritas when you first told me you were dating Chris. Where was that? We were the, um... We were talking about grits, like we were creating grits, because it was right around the same. Was time. it El Matate, my place? Yes, El Matate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the place on Dickerson. It is a sketchy Mexican restaurant, but 
they one time they saw me on tv apparently when i was being pulled out of the house chamber and i walked in and the manager of the restaurant he, he was like you you angry lady to the mean man i was like <laughs> wait what <laughs> and, and saying that i was yelling at mm-hmm. glenn cassada which i which i absolutely was um yeah that was that good was times fun. good times mm-hmm. yeah um what am i grateful for hmm I'm grateful for all the people that are, that believe that we can do better and that aren't settling for this West Wing Obama bullshit that, like, we have a Democratic president and everything's going to be fine. I just, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at the number of women who I thought would just go back to brunch and that are actually doing the work to push Biden left. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm, I'm humbled. Like, I really thought all these white women were just going to say, okay, Biden's president. I did my job. I I really think, like, the movement for racial justice, like, to me, it grounded politics. Like, it really is truly a movement, which is very different from the old school kind of, like, coalition and policy advocacy and stuff. And I really think a lot of us are thinking, like, more... Uh, granular and more like real life like what is the real life circumstances of your town and how do people make their money how are people living who's in poverty how's your school running what's disproportionate where are the disparities where's the injustices like I feel like we're all thinking like so much more local um especially COVID because you're like oh thousands of people around me are dying right right this hospital is full I mean all the stuff with the vaccine dis- oh, dissemination God. and all that and it is just like really at least for me I feel like that's one thing of like I'm glad that um I feel like we're so much less like focused on Trump and all the machination machination how do you say that word machination machination yeah why you got it no you're great machination yeah there you go. yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah 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 I'm like why does that sound so weird um we've all been, always been focused on all the hoopla from Trump and like <laughs> I'll just use that word instead um and then and like looking at that and 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 focusing on that and saying like and so you're making like Republicans next to you defend him about this stuff that has nothing to do with their real life right like we were just right. fighting over weird and that's the thing. stuff and, that, that and that's what I feel like I I, I I'm hopeful in that as long as the Republicans continue on this road of lauding Trump and uplifting conspiratorial thinking that the reality will be so divorced from what's happening from what they're saying versus mm-hmm. what's actually happening that we will make some headway perhaps maybe i'm optimistic i don't know wow i don't know all right so um we hopefully we'll have some interviews coming up we know you're tired of just hearing anna and i chit chat uh, no me <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we love you. We're grateful for you. Please um, take take care of yourself. What are you doing for self care? I ask you right now. Um, and hopefully, you'll pour yourself a margarita in honor of Grits this week. So, and let's get those shots. We're all gonna have vaccines. Well, soon. I'm a social worker, so maybe maybe I'll get mine before Ooh. you. That'll be a whole other episode. Well, I, I sign up for the standby list every day. I don't. There's no. <laughs> there's no hope. The odds are horrible. But <laughs> seven years from now, Anna and I will have a vaccine. All right. We love you. Be good. Be well. Bye. Bye. To our griddles and our family at the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tnholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the Holler while you're there. Follow the Holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep it gritty. Bye.